Good morning, LifePoint Smyrna. It's good to be with you. Good to be back with you. I hope that you've been having a good summer so far. Uh, once again, I wanna greet anyone who's watching online, whether you're maybe at one of our international campuses or if you're just one of our ministry partners, or maybe you're one of our folks here and you're on vacation, thank you for tuning in with us. Uh, go ahead and take out your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter seven. Go ahead and just make a mental note of where verse seven begins. We're gonna get there in just a moment. Um, Pat mentioned a moment ago that uh, I was in Brussels. Uh, last year, my family and I got back. We were in Brussels for three years. I served as a teaching pastor for our Brussels campus. And last, well, two weeks ago, my family had the opportunity to go back to Brussels for the first time, to see the campus, to see all of our old friends, to go back and be at a place that still feels very much like home to us for the first time in a year. And it was really sweet because, you know, we left Brussels uh, unbeknownst to us, right before, like right before all the COVID restrictions ended. So I preached to a camera for a year and a half. Oh, it was awful. Every, every week for a year and a half, preached to a camera. And then uh, we leave and two Sundays later, churches can meet again. Uh, and so of course we didn't know <laughs> that they were gonna end uh, when we bought our plane tickets. And so it was great for us to be able to go back and see the campus, see our friends. Um, when we lived in Brussels, uh, we took public transit. Maybe you've been to a bigger city and you've kind of, you may, maybe, maybe you've taken uh, trams or you know, subways, buses. That, that was our life, getting around in Brussels. Uh, except for when we went back this time, we decided, man, we, don't, we really don't wanna waste large chunks of our day, you know, hopping between metros and buses and trams. We wanna be able to just get around quickly. So we decided to rent a car. So if you've ever been to Europe, you know that driving there and their big cities is like the next level of driving. Like if this is like level five, that's like level eight driving over there. It's like a whole different ball game. Driving in Brussels, uh, it feels like you're driving in a really, really crowded Walmart parking lot on Black Friday. Right? It's like a ton of people, tons of cars. There's some semblance of rules, but it mostly feels just like a free for all. And, you know, here, when I was learning to drive, I was taught defensive driving, right? We use that term defensive driving. There, it's like offensive driving. It's like, I have to get from here to there and everyone else is in my way. And my job is to fight all of you to get where I need to go. All right, that's how driving in Brussels feels like. And to, to make things worse, everyone there drives company cars. It's like a third of the drivers are driving company cars and they're nice cars. And so if you're not careful, you're gonna be playing bumper cars in the city with like Mercedes, Teslas, BMWs. So driving there is a bit stressful. So while I'm zigzagging through roundabouts, dodging pedestrians, because walkers always have right of way there. So no matter where you are, you're liable to have a, a mother and her kid just walk out in the middle of the street in front of you. So while I'm dodging all these people. I got my wife in the passenger seat on ways, like navigating every little sharp turn we have to make down these narrow streets. And I got my kids, my five-year-old and my three-year-old in the back seat playing 20 questions with me. Dad, where are we going? Dad, how much longer? Dad, my brother touched me. I heard that one a lot. Dad, I dropped my coloring book. Dad, I dropped my water bottle. Dad, how much longer? I gotta go potty, please. Dad this, dad that. And eventually I'm so focused, I'm getting so stressed out. I get to that point, that like dad boiling point, you know what I mean? Where I just look back in the rear view mirror and I say, if you don't shut your mouths, I swear, I'm gonna pull this car over and I'm gonna whip both of you from here to the Eiffel Tower. 
And then it's like that moment of silence before they start crying. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Like they're revving up. And my wife gives me that look like, great. You've just made this whole thing worse. We all have stories like this one whether it is with our kids or maybe you remember your parents having, having moments like that with you. Here's a question. Do you ever think that God thinks about you that way? Do you ever think that God gets that way with you? One of the problems that we all face is that we tend to assume that God fathers us the way that we father our children. We assume that he will think and act the way that we think and act with our kids. Because we lose our temper, get frustrated, or need to pass the kids off to the grandparents for the weekend to have a break from them, we can assume that God will begin to feel the same way about us. But this is actually where our passage today in the Sermon on the Mount connects to our passage from last week. If you remember last week, we talked about using right judgments in our relationships with other people. But here, the Lord Jesus tells us that he also wants us to use the right judgment when it comes to our relationship with God the Father. We have to judge other people rightly, and we have to judge the Father rightly in the way that we interact with him. Jesus wants us to approach the heavenly father with right judgment, the right measure of who he is and how he relates to us. If we are going to walk in the way outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, the way of loving our enemies, the way of forsaking lust, generous giving, secret righteousness, we are going to need to proceed with the right mindset about the character of God and his feelings about us. How would our ability to obey the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount change if we used right judgment when we think about the Lord? How is our perception of God's character linked to our ability to live lives for Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. You know, so many Christians live in a state of perpetual discouragement in their spiritual walks, perpetual gloom, perpetual, perpetually being downcast because their understanding of God's nature is based more on flawed earthly fathers than the perfect heavenly father. Jesus knows that we as sinful people often have a proclivity to project our own sinfulness onto God and the assumptions that we make about him and the thoughts that we think about him and the way that we think he thinks about us. When we wrong God, we assume that he will act and feel the way that we act and feel when people wrong us. When we fail, we assume that he gets frustrated with us because we get frustrated with ourselves and we get frustrated with other people when they fail us. But right as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount's descent, he takes a moment to remind us exactly who our heavenly father is and what he is like. He's inviting us to enjoy the peace that comes from trusting in God, our father. He's opening up his heart 
to people he knows will struggle greatly to obey everything he said in the sermon so far. So Jesus gives us three words in the passage we're gonna see today, which call us to act and act on our trust in God and outline the way of dependence upon him. Those three words are ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. So we're gonna walk through each of these words and understand what they mean for our lives and how each one opens up and reveals to us the tenderness of God toward us and how each one helps us obey the commands that the Lord Jesus has given us. So let's look at Matthew 7. Let's look at verses seven and eight to begin. The Lord Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So the first thing the Lord invites us to do is ask. This means that we should come to the Lord with our needs, trusting him wholeheartedly. Now it's important to say here, this is a very common passage. And I'm sure that many of you, if you've been around church for just any, any measure of time, you've probably heard, ask and it shall be given to you. Ask, seek, and you will find not. You probably, even in pop culture, you might hear this, this, this phrase. Maybe if you've been at, at other churches and heard other people speak about this, I have to say up front, I've seen this passage used incorrectly many times. I've seen this passage used to preach some kind of like prosperity gospel message. Like anything you want from God, you need to ask. And if you have enough faith, you're gonna get it. And if you don't get what you asked for, it's because you didn't have enough faith. But the point today, and the point of what the Lord is saying here is not that God's going to give you anything you want anytime you ask. Beware of any preacher or person who tries to portray God like he's some butler who just comes every time you ring the little bell. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is about laying out the ethic of Christ's kingdom. This is Jesus going up and saying, my people who I redeem, this is how you are to live and shine as lights in the world. This is the ethic of the kingdom of God. So the substance of our asking, seeking and knocking should be defined by our desire to obey more fully what God has commanded of us. That's what we're asking for. That's what we're seeking after. That's what we're knocking toward. Now, throughout this series, if you're anything like me, you thought this is difficult. Even for the guys writing the sermons, this is difficult. This week's sermon actually was pretty difficult for me and I'll get to that in, 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 a, in a few minutes. This is difficult, turning the other cheek being generous toward others, resisting the temptation to be praised for our righteousness and doing all that all the time, not being sinfully judgmental. This is not easy stuff. You know, social media, I was thinking about this, social media would have you think that all this is easy. Social media would have you think that all of this righteousness Jesus is talking about is so easy. You know, Facebook is filled with virtue signaling and platitudes like, just be a good person, man. Or the infamous, we have to do better. How often do you see that? Hey guys, listen, we have to do better. 
It's almost like the message we get online is that being a good person is effortless. It's easy. It's not complicated. Just be good to other people, y'all. Even in churches, we can throw around phrases like, well, man, listen, bro, what would Jesus do? Or bro, just be more like Jesus. You're not really acting like Jesus right now, man. You need to act more like Jesus. Oh, thanks. (laughs) We can treat righteousness like it's some easy thing that comes naturally to everyone, but righteousness does not come naturally to everyone. In fact, righteous living is very difficult for sinful people. The ethic, the way outlined here in the Sermon on the Mount is hard. This is not an easy path to walk. This is not an easy way to live. The gospels even tell us that many people left Jesus when they heard how hard his teaching was. No matter what anyone on Facebook says, do better is not good advice because it's impossible to follow on your own. The difference between being a great person and being a bad person is not merely desiring to be a good person. It's not like you can just flip the do better switch. This is why Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Come to your heavenly father in humility. Father, I cannot do anything that you say. I cannot reflect your character to anyone without your help. Christianity is not about virtue signaling on Facebook and Twitter to make everyone think that you're a better person than you actually are. That's not the way of of the Lord. That's not the way of the kingdom. Christianity is about realizing that we are all desperately lost without Christ, that we are totally sinful without the redemption of the gospel, and that we have nothing good in us apart from Christ. So Jesus tells us, in response to everything he said in the sermon so far, I know you think naturally that the way that you're gonna obey this, everything that I've said, is by doing better. But I'm telling you, You have to begin by asking me, ask me for my help and you will receive. Trust in my character, trust in the goodness of God, your father. Do you have someone who wronged you in your life or maybe you wronged someone else and you think that reconciliation with that person is impossible? The reconciliation we talked about earlier in the sermon, do you think, man, that's impossible? It could never happen. To that, the Lord Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Do you have a struggle with lust that is so strong and has been going on for so long that you think victory is impossible, completely out of reach? To you, the Lord Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Do you desire freedom from a deep anger issue, deep bitterness and resentment within you that that, that affects your relationship with everyone? The Lord Jesus says, Ask and you will receive. So many struggles in our spiritual lives come because we have not asked for God's help. We want a close walk with Christ. We want to reflect God's character. We want to tell other people about him. 
but many times we do not have these things. Could it be that we do not have because we do not ask? Are we still bogged down by the idea that we grow in Christ merely by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps? That's a very American, very Southern mindset. There are many great things about Southern America, but one thing about Southern people is we're hard workers. We're people who pride ourselves on working hard, getting up early, pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and getting the job done. But when it comes to righteousness, that mentality isn't enough. And it will lead you to disappointment, to failure. Now, as we're gonna see in a moment, there is undoubtedly effort required on our part when it comes to obeying the Lord. Don't hear me say that. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But before we think about what we need to do to obey the Lord, our minds should immediately rush into a posture of dependence upon the power and mercy of Christ toward us. Our entrance into Christ's kingdom is not through the door of strength and effort. That's what the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees thought that they could strong arm their way into righteous living. But this is not so. Our entrance into the kingdom of Christ is through the door of humility and trust in the goodness of God toward us. Everything else in our lives might be a performance. Outside those doors, when you step back into the world, you step into a world of judgment. You step into a world of performance. You step into a world where everyone's looking for you to measure up, to be enough, to work hard enough, to produce enough, to be strong enough. And we can assume that this same spirit applies to our relationship with Jesus Christ. But my friends, I hope today by the power of the Lord, you can be released from that mindset. When it comes to being the man, woman, father, mother, husband, wife that God calls us to be, the first instinct of the Lord Jesus is not to tell us to do better, but to ask for help. Come to me, ask, and I will give it to you. So that's the first thing Jesus calls us to do in response to everything we've seen so far in the sermon, to all the difficulty of the ethic laid out in the sermon. He says, ask for God's help and it will be given to you. The second thing Jesus calls us to do is seek Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, he says. Seeking means that we should not only ask, we begin by asking, but we should not only ask, we also act. First we ask, then we act. When it comes to the righteousness described in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants us to know that although we must ask for his help and we can't do it without his help, we have to work hard to live the life that he's called us to live. Now, it's important for me to say here, when it comes to our justification before God, justification meaning our right standing before him, that comes only by faith. You are saved, you are justified before God by faith alone, not by your good works. You don't earn it. You can't do enough good things to earn your justification. That's only by faith. However, when it comes to our sanctification, 
when it comes to our sanctification, our growing to become more like Christ, that certainly does require effort on our part. There's one agent active in your justification and that's God. There's two agents active in your sanctification. That's God and you. Growing in our faith to be more like Jesus does require effort on our part. No one becomes more like Jesus by sitting around and doing nothing. No one grows to become more like Jesus because they think it would be nice to become more like Jesus or by just wanting to become more like Jesus. If we are never reading our Bibles, praying, coming to church, allowing other believers to speak into our lives, filling our minds with holy things, or seeking to actually obey any of the commands that Jesus has given us, then we will not grow in our faith. Now you might be thinking, wait, I thought you just said we often don't grow in our faith because we don't ask for God's help. Why are you now suggesting that I'm not growing in my faith or people don't grow in, our, in, in, in their faith because they're not obeying Jesus or practicing spiritual disciplines or trying. I'm saying this because both of these things are required. We'll never grow in our faith without God's help, but we'll also never grow in our faith without effort to obey him. Listen, for example, to Romans chapter eight, verse 13. The apostle Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So when it comes to killing sin, killing sin corresponds to growing in our faith. Who kills it according to this verse? You do, you kill it. Paul says, you put to death the deeds of the body, but how do you do it? He says, you do this, you do it by the spirit. We need both if we're going to kill sin and grow in our faith. We must actively listen to and obey Jesus, engaging in spiritual disciplines like reading our Bibles, praying, going to church. One of the reasons that we always bring these things up and harp on these things is because these are the means by which God has given you to grow in your faith. But we must do all these things by the Spirit. That is with the help and power of the Holy Spirit. So asking for God's help, which we must do, must be accompanied by actual effort on our part. You know, I've noticed this about myself. Um, summertime, you know, we travel. Families usually travel, go on a vacation. I've noticed that whenever my family travels, I get out of my routine. So my Bible reading, my time with the Lord gets all out of whack. And oftentimes I'll spend so much time, maybe, maybe you can relate to this. I've spent so much time filling my days with so many things, or I'm just out of my rhythms that oftentimes my time with the Lord just gets left on the cutting room floor. And I'll just go a week and not have spent any time in the word, any time in prayer. And then I begin to notice a change in me. Well, really probably first my wife begins to notice a change in me. And then I catch up later. My temper gets worse my words become more hateful. My patience wears out faster. I begin to worry about every little thing. Listen, you don't wanna be in an airport with Jordan Rabin after he's not been in the Bible for seven days. I'll have to tell you all the story later about how on our way back from Brussels, I had to yell at like 20 people in the customs line. Why does this happen? It's because I've allowed excuses, and that's what they are, excuses, 
to stop me from seeking obedience to Christ. I've neglected to nourish my soul with the sweetness of God's spirit. And now my sinfulness is coming out in full force. Now, does God still love me when this happens? Yes. Am I still a Christian when I sin? Yes. But am I obeying the Lord and showing the world what he's like in the way that I'm living? No. I'm not emulating any part of his character to my family. I have to course correct, which involves not only repenting and asking the Lord's help, but saying, all right, I've been neglecting the things that help keep me in line. I need to get back on and start doing these things. For example, if you notice that you haven't been reading your Bible, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I can't remember the last time I opened my Bible. That's okay. I'm glad that you know that. So maybe that's where you are and you're feeling conviction about it. You might start praying, and I hope you do pray this. You might pray, Lord, help me to read my Bible. Help me to desire it. Help me to know how important it is for me to spend time with you and hear you speak through your word. Help me to be interested in and amazed at what I'm reading. That's a good prayer. And that is certainly something you should pray if you're in that situation. But if we aren't also making time and saying, all right, so tomorrow morning, I'm gonna get up at seven o'clock and I'm gonna spend 30 minutes in my quiet time, 30 minutes with the Lord reading my Bible. If you're not doing that, don't expect anything to happen. We can't just ask for God's help while watching our Bible collect dust on the shelf. But we also can't open our Bibles and force our way into growth without God's help. We need both. This is why Jesus says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. The final thing that Jesus tells us to do is knock. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. Now, um, this means, knocking means that we should be persistent and confident in the things that we are asking for and seeking. So knocking here, when I was studying, I was thinking, well, what's really the difference between, I can see the difference between asking and seeking, but what's the difference between asking and knocking? It's kind of the same type of thing. The difference, the key difference in what the Lord is describing here is the persistence associated with knocking. This is a true story. Um, Wednesday morning, this past week, I was working on this sermon. I was actually wanting, I was actually feeling like I needed a little illustration. I was like, Lord, I need an illustration. Ask and you will receive, right? So this, this is what happened to me. So I was at home. My wife had a, a dentist appointment. So I was at home with my kids in the morning and I was in my office working on this sermon and my kids were in their room playing. Now, my children's room is right across from my office. And so it never fails ever that when I'm in my office trying to get anything done at all, my kids are gonna come knocking my door down. They're gonna come banging down my door. So they were in their room and they got bored playing with their toys. I was trying to hold off from like TV. You know how it is in the summertime, man. You just like gotta be careful, not let your kids just like zone out all day. So we're trying to hold off from TV as long as we can. We didn't hold out very long. <laughs> and so they get bored playing with their toys. And all of a sudden I hear from the room, dad, can we watch TV? So there's asking. And then I hear their little footsteps approaching. They're seeking. And then my solace is truly shattered by their loud and persistent banging on my door. There's the knocking. At one point after I'd answered the door, I said, all right, guys, yeah, yeah, I'll go. My son, he, they have this show called Shark Dog that they like. I don't know if maybe anyone without small kids is like, what are you even talking about? Um, 
It's what it sounds like. It's about a shark dog thing. Um, and so he wanted to watch shark dog. And so the whole way down the stairs, my son, he's like, dad, can we watch shark dog? Dad, can you turn on the TV? Can, 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 can you turn on shark dog for us? Dad, I wanna watch shark dog. I'm not exaggerating. That's what this was like. It's like, he just like drank a cup of coffee. He's like, shark dog, dad, shark dog, shark dog. And so, and I'll have my dad, best dad voice here. Again, I was like, son, enough. I heard you. I'm turning on shark dog right now. At which point my three-year-old daughter looks at me and goes, dad, you're being difficult right now. And of course, all this is happening is I'm upstairs working on a sermon about the perfect heavenly father who quite unlike me, never gets difficult with his children when we persistently ask for something. You know, you might be praying every single day for help to overcome lust or to forgive someone who wronged you. I want you to know, Christian, God is not up in heaven keeping count of how many times you come for him, come to him and ask for his help and getting frustrated that you just come again. God doesn't have some tally, hundredth time, when are you gonna get your stuff together, man? Uh, you, you can't keep coming to me over this. You just gotta figure it out. You gotta do better. That's not what God feels. Not only is God not annoyed with you, He invites you to keep coming back. No, 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 keep coming, keep asking. Keep being needy for me. God does not get frustrated with you because you need so much from him. Your neediness makes you irresistible to him. God is the savior. He is the redeemer savior. When you read the book of Genesis and you see God's title, the Lord God in the first few chapters of scripture, Yahweh Elohim, that means the redeemer creator. So even before he identifies himself as the creator, he identifies himself as the redeemer. God loves redeeming you. He loves helping you. Your dependence upon him does not frustrate him. It fills his heart with joy because he wants you to come to him when you're needy. With each new situation, with each new sin we struggle with, with each new opportunity we face, we need even more help than we did before. And God, as the perfect heavenly father, never wants to withhold any good thing from you. He doesn't want to withhold any help that you need from you. So we have to be persistent in our knocking, persistent in our asking, relying daily on God's good gifts to sustain us and carry us toward greater holiness in our lives. We must trust that when we ask, seek and knock at his door, he will always be faithful to open to us, to receive us again, and that he will not withhold any good thing that we need from us. Listen, the type of life that Jesus describes here in the Sermon on the Mount is the best possible life that you can live. Jesus isn't just giving rules for the sake of giving rules. Jesus is describing to you the way of flourishing, 
the way of peace, the way of contentment, the way of joy. This is the pathway to enjoying life the way God meant for it to be enjoyed. These aren't rules as much as they're guardrails, keeping us from falling out into the things that will make us miserable, to steal life from us, to bring destruction and pain to our lives. This is describing the best possible life that you can live. This is the way that will lead to healing in your marriage, a way that will lead to restoring relationships with your children or your friends. This is the way that will lead to unity within the church and sweetness in our fellowship together. This is the way that will lead to freedom from sin. Why would our heavenly father withhold any of these things from us? Jesus actually asks this question. Look at verses nine through 11. Jesus says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If your son or daughter came to you and they asked you for something to drink, would you think to go get them water from the toilet? Of course not. You'd say, baby, what do you want? You want some lemonade? You want some milk? You get them something good to drink, something that you know they would enjoy. Or maybe they've been playing outside and they want you know, a Coke and you're like, no, no, baby, you need water. Here, take, take, take this bottle of water. You know what they need. You're gonna give them something that they need that's gonna replenish them, nourish them. Or if they told you that you were hungry, would you think to dig around the trash and find scraps of food from last night's dinner to give to them? Of course not. Man, you would do what any good Christian parent would do. You'd say, all right, baby, you're hungry. Get in the van, we're going to Chick-fil-A. Not today though. Jesus is saying, look, you wouldn't withhold any good thing from your children and you're sinners. How much more then will my father in heaven who is perfect not withhold any good thing from his children? The difference between you and God the father is that God the father is flawless. He is perfect in everything that he does. He doesn't let laziness, bitterness or frustration get in the way of lavishing his children with good gifts. You've had times like that where you've been sitting on the couch, you're tired and your kids ask you for something, ask you to read a book to them, ask you to get them something. You have to get up and you're like, baby, listen, listen. Um, it's not that I don't wanna do this for you. It's that I don't wanna get up. God never gets that way with us. He doesn't let laziness get in the way. He doesn't let lack of it. He's not limited by his budget. He does not run out of energy toward his children. So here's what I wanna encourage everyone here to do this morning. This is my prayer for you this morning, as you hear this text, adopt a new mindset about who your father in heaven is. Know that your dependence upon him draws him to you rather than pushes him away. And know that he loves to hear your cries for his help and that you'll never be the man or woman that he wants you to be, that you want to be if you're only looking to yourself. Ask for his help and he will give it to you. Now, you might be thinking, I know God is good. 
You don't have to convince me that God is good. The problem is me. I'm the problem. My faith is so weak. I'm filled with doubt. I worry all the time that God has forgotten me, that he won't hear me when I call. I feel like I'm too far gone to lay claim to any of his promises. Like I've just messed this whole thing up. And I don't know if I trust God enough that when I ask him, is he, if I ask, is he really gonna help me? I, I feel so, my situation's so special. Is he really gonna help me? But listen, God's faithfulness is not determined by the strength of your faith. God's faithfulness is not determined by the strength of your faith. It's determined by his integrity and trustworthiness. God is not faithful because you have enough faith. God is faithful because he is faithful. And no amount of weak or strong faith on your end is going to change anything about the level of faithfulness that God will have toward you. Imagine for a moment, imagine you're standing on a frozen lake. Imagine you're on a frozen lake. What determines if you are going to fall through or not? What determines if you're gonna fall through or not? Is it how confident you are in the ice? Or is it how strong the ice is upon which you're standing? You might have a lot of confidence in the ice that you're standing on, but that ice might be thin. And guess what? It doesn't matter how confident you are. Guess where you're going? You're crashing right through that ice. You're sunk. However, you might be very nervous about the ice. And with each step, you're wondering if it's gonna hold you. You're taking each step with absolute fear seizing through your body. But guess what? It doesn't matter how afraid you are. It doesn't matter how scared you are, how much doubt you have about this ice. If that ice is strong, you're gonna make it to the other side, all right. It is the integrity of the ice, not your confidence in it, that will keep you safe. My friends, weak faith, fear, doubt does not change or inhibit God's ability to be faithful to you. To those with weak faith, he still says, come to me, come to me, ask and you will receive. I know that you're, that you're afraid, I know that you doubt. Come to me anyway. I'll be faithful to you whether you believe it or not. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock at my door and it will always open to you. My friends, God promises to help you receive the flourishing offered in this sermon, to have freedom from sin, to have restoration in your relationships, to find healing from self-righteousness. All of these things, all these promises are not contingent upon how strong your faith is, but upon how good God is. So listen to the words of Jesus, work hard in your life, to obey what he says, put forth effort to obey what he says. 
But don't let laziness or complacency get in the way of your obedience to him. But every time you fall, every time you fail, every time you come up short, make a fool of yourself. Come back to him. Come back to him again. Throw yourself upon his tender love and kindness toward you and lay claim to his promises yet again. You know, for some of you, the first thing that you need to ask for the Lord is to cleanse you from your sin and bring you into his family. There's a lot of people in this room and I have to believe that there's at least someone or a few people in this room who's never given their life to Jesus. Maybe you're a guest here. Maybe you've been coming around church for a long time, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. Right now, the invitation to you is open. Ask and you will receive. I hope that if you feel the spirit moving in your heart, you'll come back after the service right through those doors and speak to to one of us about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been trying and trying to be good enough. Maybe you think that you're gonna strong arm your way into righteous living, but it, it doesn't work like that. It won't happen. It hasn't happened so far. Nothing's gonna change in the future. The only way to enter God's kingdom is to humble yourself and ask him to receive you in. So if you wanna know what it means to follow Jesus, please, I'd love for you to come talk to us. Otherwise, life point, may you be filled today with the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the sweetness of the spirit fill your heart. May the comfort and love of God the Father be upon you as you leave today. And may you approach his throne filled with trust and dependence upon his grace and mercy toward you. Let's pray. Father God, your son came to this world and told us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He told us, that anything we need from you to live the life that you've called us to, to have the life of flourishing that you promised to us, that you would not withhold from us. So Lord, I wanna ask right now, Lord, help us. We are sinful people. Everyone in this room is sinful. People have come into this room carrying weights that we wouldn't believe. People have had to come into this room People have had to overcome obstacles just to get here this morning. Things that I don't know, things that no one else knows, but you do. We have all sorts of things in our life that feel like barriers holding us back from you. And Lord, as much as we try to scale the wall ourselves, it just gets higher and higher and we get weaker and weaker. Lord, we cannot be who you call us to be without your help. So help us, help us be the men and women we need to be in order to shine as lights here in Middle Tennessee, in Brussels, in Bangkok, anywhere in the world. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Forgive us when we project our sinfulness onto you. Help us to know who you are and come to you approaching your throne every day, needy, dependent, ready to take your help and get to work but persistent in coming to you and being nourished and restored by you.
Lord, we love you. Thank you for who you are and for your never-ending mercy toward us. We say all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.